everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week, I, I like this interview a lot. We get to hear from Martha Davis, front woman for The Motels. Now, I uh, I don't know why I'm so surprised that this went as well as it did, but I just am. And I don't mean that because I had low expectations, but you always hope that you're not only going to kind of, you know, have a good rapport with somebody, but that there's going to be an extra layer of sort of, you know, chemistry or something there. And I feel that happened with Martha. She, so, little brief history. You guys probably know, the Motels had basically three top 40 hits in the early 80s. They had this one, Suddenly Last Summer, Only the Lonely, and then Shame a couple years later in like the mid 80s. She eventually went solo, put out a solo album, and that was kind of it. And they did the, you know, the 80s nostalgia circuit for a while, but she kind of gave that up too. Well now, last week, they just put out a brand new album called The Last Few Beautiful Days, and it's probably my favorite Motels album. I think it is great from beginning to end. I really like it. So Martha, bless her heart, was open to coming on here and talking about the new album and the, how, how hard it is to put music together and get it out there in front of people who will care about it in this day and age. I feel that strongly myself. What her feelings are about her legacy and those hits. She has kind of conflicted feelings, believe it or not. But she is such a great, open, wonderful woman. Unfortunately, this interview ends on kind of a sad, somber note. When she, we just started talking about her daughter who unfortunately died a couple years ago of a drug overdose. Um, it's sad that this great conversation ends that way, but I think it's also really important to, you know, get that message out there. Anyway, she's a great lady. She talked to me from her home in Oregon. All right, so for starters, the thing that I'm really curious about in regards to the motels, and I know you had a long history of being a band up in Northern California and moving down to LA before things really struck and got big, but initially when you were signed, what do you think it was that was special about you and your band specifically? Because that was there was such a movement going on at that time in the late 70s, especially down there around New Wave and urging some power pop elements with New Wave and some post-punk and stuff like that. Do you have a sense of what made you guys stand out above and beyond hundreds of other bands that were probably trying to make it? Well, there was, yeah, all those things you say are very true, and it was it was very interesting. When we first moved to L.A. from Berkeley, California, with, of course, the thought that we were going to be, of course, famous, you know, the next day or something like that. <laughs> right. And it was going to be just, you know, champagne and caviar from there on out. But we got down to L.A. to find this. This is the Warfield Foxes. We weren't even the motels yet. And mm. th to find that unless you had an al a record deal with mm -hmm. a major label, you couldn't play either of the... There was basically two venues. There was, like, the Whiskey and and probably... I, don't, I guess the Roxy might have been around mm -hmm. then, but that was way out of touch. And the Starwood, and they, they would only have acts play that were signed to labels. So mm -hmm. if you, here we were. We'd moved down there, me, my kids, my dogs, like, you know, like, we had no place to play which is a little dis disconcerting if you're trying to be an original band. So um, we put we put on a thing called um, Radio Free Hollywood, which was mm -hmm. us trying to, like, you know, have a venue for ourselves, basically. Sure. We pulled with two other bands. We pulled our money and, and came up with this thing. But I think the thing that was funniest about the motels is when we got to L.A., we were too 
punk or weird mm. for the mainstream because at that point the main artists that were around were like Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. Um, there it was the you know it was a very corporate the Eagles. It was like that very polished sound. We were not that. Yeah. But then when punk hit, we weren't that either because <laughs> we were too melodic to be punk. So we were having a hell of a time fitting in until the new wave. And when the new wave hit, then all all bets were off because yeah. basically the whole the whole emphasis of the new wave was to be as weird and different. Mm-hmm. That you, I mean, Devo did not sound like Oingo right. Bongo did not sound like Blondie did not sound like you know. It's yeah. just everybody had their own niche. So yeah. I think it, I think we just fell into a lucky lucky time. Right. Was that were you? We were allowed that? to be. Yes. That's man. Don't don't you miss that? That's the thing. People, you know, not everyone can get on board with the '80s, but my feeling is that that was the last decade where things seemed kind of fun and experimental, yeah. and not. Not consciously. Now I feel like anyone who's kind of doing something different is doing it consciously. They, it's it's not sincere or innocent, you know, where it kind of felt well, that way to, before. It's before. I think there's a huge, I mean, and I have a huge problem with this, and this, I'm going to blab and everybody's going to get in trouble, and I always do, but <laughs> we're, in, we're in an era now where the only people that have labels are like, you know, Adele and yeah. Taylor Swift and... I guess so. I guess Bruno Mars has probably got a pretty good one. Right probably, now. yeah. Um, the rest of us are making albums. A lot of us on our own. I mean, obviously, most of most everything's on our own dime. Yeah. Uh, I don't care about that because you got to you got to do it. You can't yeah. not make music. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just if you're if you've really you know if that's what you do, that's what you do. But the other thing about it is we don't get the the beauty and of having that label that goes out there and, you know, markets and yeah. schedules our releases. and Basically, we've become not even, and even in gigs, we have to promote everything. So now, and I am, I don't like to self-promote. I get, I right. feel very creepy about that. But now it's like, how many likes do I have on Facebook? Yeah. How many, and you start becoming a, you're like, you're a bean counter of your own yeah. art. It's just, it's horrible. Sure it's horrible. Yeah. And you know, nowadays you won't even get gigs unless they look at your Facebook and you have a certain oh, amount of you know, no. people following your Facebook. How ridiculous oh. is this? This has nothing to do with how artistic you are or no. how talented you are. Because most of the people I know that are super talented aren't those people that are on, you know, spend, right. you don't have time for Facebook if you're making no. music, you know? True. So That's it's true. a completely, and I think this whole turning so much of the music industry into its own, I mean, do, do we have musicians now or do we yeah. have marketers? Right, you know? right. And so if you're a little, if you're feeling like you're not hearing true artistic endeavors from yeah. the new musicians, it might be because they're, being marketers, you know, yeah, it's like yeah, their job is so confusing, and it's so confusing because you may be good at music, you may love music, but you have to involve yourself so deeply in social media. Yeah. You have to get on those. You have to kiss Spotify's ass and get on a I playlist. And, oh, I mean, you can't. Yeah. You, it's it's and it's horrible. I'm yeah. sorry. And to it's do true. and you're busting your ass doing all this to give your music away. Yeah. So at the same time, 
you're, oh, see, I'm, the people are going to get mad at me, but, you know, it's true. It's true. Um, it's true. But, and, you know, you mentioned musicians. Uh, there's fewer and fewer musicians, it feels like, nowadays anyway. And what I, what I mean by that is, like, popular music doesn't seem to put a premium on even authentic instruments anymore. You know, we don't hear no. guitars. All this rock is dead talk. So it's almost, you know, it's people on laptops creating things with software, and yeah. then whatever they've created, then they just click a new browser, and then they send it off and market it. And yep. everything is happening over their little MacBook Air laptops. It's not... Yep. It's not people feeling anything authentically with their fingers and textures yeah. and, and creating it, you know, in a room with friends. It's not well, really I how noticed, it works anymore. I notice a lot of, you know, people, you know, and this happens with every generation. Every generation sure. goes, oh, what happened back, to the music? What happened yep. to them? When I was young, the music was, yeah, everybody does that. I mean, and that's, yeah. a, that's a natural thing to happen. What I noticed more, most of all when computers really got involved in the music thing, and they're great tools. Trust me, mm -hmm. we use them too. Mm -hmm. But... When I write a song, I sit down with my guitar or a piano or whatever, and I write the song as a whole. It's because a song is it's a story, it's an arc. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it it starts here and it, it ends up there, and it, by the time you get there, you've you've gone through something. You know, hopefully yeah, you you've had a whole experience. You know, yeah. so but when computers come along, it's so easy to go, oh man, I love that chorus, but that bridge sucks. What if we use this bridge from the? And all of a sudden, instead of actually writing. A continuum. You're yeah. you're pasting together stuff, so you're losing that thread of. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't. It doesn't all. Sometimes it mm -hmm. works brilliantly. Sure, sometimes sure. it's fantastic. But mm -hmm. that the the actual then sitting down to create a thing from start to finish gets further and further and far, be far sure between. Does. You know, you're it's right. like it, yep. it starts going away. The other thing I noticed, which is crazy to me. Is, and this happened like, you know, I started noticing this like 10 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. But I would look at the billboard charts and there were so few songs that were written by one person. Oh. Like everything is a yeah. committee. Yeah. yeah. There's like six people on each song. I yeah. mean, it's one thing. The motels, like on this last album, the motels are very involved in this album. So it's not just me writing all, mm -hmm. all the songs, you know. There's, there's songs where it involves the whole band. And that's right. awesome. We're a yeah. band. But yeah. when you, when you look at a lot of the big hits on the radio, you look at them, and it can be an artist, but it will involve a whole hell of a lot of people writing that song. So to me, that, that also, it's another way to sort of distract from, I mean, a real true song and the ones that come along and they, they'll kick your own ass. I mean, when they happen, mm -hmm. they'll come, come out of nowhere. You won't even know what hit you. Like, lonely, lonely, I picked up my guitar and it was sitting there, literally, complete, oh, wow. you know. Really? Um, I, yeah, I, I just wrote down what it told me. We walked the loneliest mile. We smiled without any style. We kissed all together wrong. No intention. We lie about each other's dreams. We live without each other thinking what anyone would do without me and you. It's like I told you, only the lonely can play. So hold on, 
I, you know, it's not a, it's not a hard song. It's not an intricate song, but like all the lyrics just fell out, you know. Yeah. Just, and when those happen, it's like that's a, that's a conduit to something. It's a connection between something. For me, it's I call it getting it, getting the fuck out of my own way because uh-huh. I write. I do a lot of stream of conscious. In fact, everything I do, unless I'm writing a musical or something, is is kind of just get out of your way and see what... Because yeah. that's the truest stuff, you know? Sure, yeah, I could see that. But so, when you have, okay. like, six people, I don't know. <laughs> right, I know. And it, they're all in different parts of the world, and they're adding their... Yeah. They're sending files. I wrote a riff on a computer, and I'm going to take a clip of that file, and I'm going to email it to the people on this email chain, and they're going to add it to the beats that the other guy did in Sweden, and the guy yeah. who wrote the chorus is over in Mexico, and... Anyway, yep, it's just yep. uh, crazy collaboration. So, okay, so the, if you go back to the first record, and you know, in a, in the states anyway, there's not there's not a lot of success that's coming from that album. It was a lot of crickets, is what. It was. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but you know, Total Control starts to take off in Australia. Was your label willing to sort of, and I know times were different then too and people got more than one chance, but was your label a little bit more maybe lenient with, well, let's give these guys a little bit more time to come into their own and find a hit because we are seeing some success in Australia and in France. Maybe it's just a matter of time. Do you think that bought you some time to keep finding yourself? I think that that didn't hurt one little bit. I think mm-hmm. that the, the because Australia really did, come out for the motels, I mean, to the point where it shocked me the first time we played there, and yeah. we got to total control in the set. I had no idea. I really had no idea. And all of a sudden, everybody's waving their arms in the air with cigarette lighters. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, it was already, you know, it was already big, thanks to Polly yeah. Meldrum over there. But mm-hmm. that that definitely helped. But you cannot uh, get away from the fact that in those days, there was that thing called artist development. Mm-hmm. And it was we we see potential here. It, it was it, and if they would give years to an artist to to yeah. come to fruition and and find their, I mean, it's you know it's it was a whole whole different mm-hmm. uh, thing. Sure. And I and I know Capital, they they loved us for some reason. You know, right. they, there was a true you could feel the affection. My, my um, first producer, who was the A and R guy. As well, Carter was no longer with us, but you know he was like he was a mo- there was they were they were all music people yeah. in the record business, and they were all 
stands. And that's something you don't see anymore either. You know, yeah, there is a, it's, a, it's a monetized the business, business mm-hmm. and which is hilarious because it's a mon- the business is so monetized and they give the product away. <laughs> and I don't understand that. As my manager says, right. if you want to devalue a product, give it away. And that's yeah. what they've done with the music, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and they, they screwed up with the whole Napster thing. They should have, like, in, come to terms with some agreement back then and actually monetized it to a degree and understood what was coming, but they didn't. But yeah. now, so they just threw their hands up in the air and said, oh, just take it. It's fine. Yeah. We'll talk instead. <laughs> You know, yeah, sell T-shirts and beer cozies and whatever else they can <laughs> slap your band's name on. Um, yeah. Now, when you uh, – so it's funny we talk about Australia and getting ready to talk to you. I've been watching some old interviews with you on YouTube, and so many of them are for Australian television or the person doing the interview is uh-huh. Australian. So uh-huh. it's, it's, it, it was really startling to see what a foothold you must have had down there at that time. Yeah. In one of those, you had mentioned that one of the reasons why you started to kind of step away from music in the late 80s was that uh, you weren't really happy with your sound. You yeah. felt like, I think the motel started out as sort of almost a more quirky, experimental, avant-garde, artier band, and over the years, and granted, as the hits come popping up, like suddenly last summer and everything, uh-huh. the sound becomes a little bit more AOR, and you weren't comfortable with that. Do I have that right? You do, sir. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a double-edged sword. You're getting you're getting successful, but it's not on your terms. Even though you wrote those songs, yeah, you're not. It's a, you know, it's good and bad. And that's what to complicate matters even worse is that I love music so much, and I do. I mean, I just not. Which is weird because I have to clarify this. I don't listen to a lot of music. I love. I, I listen to classical music uh, mm-hmm. mostly, but making music of any kind, I I have it just is it's my happy place. And so, yeah. even if I'm making music that may not be my you know cup my favorite, you know I I'm just I get so happy that I I don't really right. say anything about it until it's too late. Um, it's, I'm yeah. not Prince. I don't go in and go no, you don't do it that way. You do it my way or the highway. You know, <laughs> I. I I just am enjoying myself, and mm-hmm. it took a while, you know, when I think Val Gray was the classic example. Like, we had the right. Apocalypso album, which was the one that was not released for until we released it 30 years later. That was very much a Tim McGovern art statement, and 
he, I give it to him 100%. He's a great artist in terms of a great musician. He was my boyfriend, not good to get along with. Mm. So at the, when that got rejected, um, the whole, you know, we changed everything up. I said, yeah. yeah, the end of the relationship, the end of this and that. Then we went on to, to actually do the album with Val Gray, who was actually supposed to be the producer on the first one. And mm. his, his style, I mean, he did, sure. he worked for Peter Asher. He, yeah. Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, he came with Linda engineer. Ronstadt, Jackson Brown. He was yeah, you talk yeah. about that Southern California sound. Yeah. He was fully immersed in that. Andrew exactly. Gold. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, you know, and when we first when Capital suggested him, I was like, uh, no. Right. Because like <laughs> just because of the roster, I just thought this sure. is not who we are, you know? Yeah. And when we started when we first went to work with Valley, he said, Well, I'll tell you what, let's try it for three days and see if you like it and you know and for three days, he was just as charming and wonderful as he could be. And after the third day, we said, okay. And then it turned to, sh- oh, well. uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I'm, I am, I'm such an easy mark. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we made, but he made successful records for you. He'd just come off yeah. Betty Davis eyes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, Kimmy's hilarious and wonderful. So there was, and he was, he was in that sort of new wave circuit thing in, with that song. And so, you know, and the stuff, you know, all of a sudden we had a hit. And I'm just like, uh, yeah. okay, well, that's, I mean, I this, this is, is good. So this bad. is actually, yeah, this yeah. is good. I have two kids. I need, uh, you know, this is good. Money is a good thing. But, you know, as it went on, and then Val, you know, Val was just so difficult to be, to work mm-hmm. with, that that only lasted two albums. And then, I went with, uh, we were actually looking to work with Keith Forsey, who was yeah. doing Billy Idol at the time. We thought, you know, he, he made really great sounding records and he Love was kind of crazy. And he was unavailable, but, you know, they said, well, you know, Richie Zito's over there in the same stable with the Giorgio Moroder stable, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, we hung out with Richie and he was so much fun and made me laugh so Ooh. hard. And after Val, I was just like, I love him. Let's make a yeah. record with him. But but once again, Richie's a complete pop guy. He's a hundred percent pop. Right. So we kept going down this pop road. Whether you know, and I I wasn't really fighting it. All I was was sure. sort of getting depressed by it. <laughs> really, because you know, even Richie brings you. I mean, he produces Shock, and you have Shame. actually kind of your third and last season side yeah. hit of the era but yeah. that's what i'm wondering i mean are you out there just like 
I don't even believe in these songs. If you're on like Solid Gold or American Bandstand and you got to lip sync to Only the Lonely and you're just like, man, this is just not in my heart. Or do you learn to love those songs? I mean, you've been singing, you have to sing those anytime you play, you know? I think, it, I think there's a, there's a, there's a whole other aspect to that that doesn't have either one of those things going on. Yeah. I think a lot of what was happening with me, I had, um, you know, aside from, you know, getting married very young and having kids very young. I lost my parents both when I was around 20. And I don't think that I ever really, you know, I was trying so hard to just keep things going and yeah. keep things. That when I did get signed, I just kind of, I, I, I think I was pretty, I don't think I was there. Yeah. It, I don't think I was completely huh. there. I, I never really stopped to deal with my parents. Mm. loss with the loss of my parents so i think that a lot of that was sort of underneath everything else it was the 80s i was partying a lot um Mm -hmm. uh, as you do and so when you're anesthetized you know pretty much everything's groovy um (laughs) yeah i can imagine and so there's and i think um actually only lonely is pretty much a testament to that whole thing of feeling you know, on one hand, you know, like, you know, driving around in limousines and getting roses and this yeah. and that and the other thing, and then at the same time feeling completely brokenhearted and lonely in bad relationships, having lost my parents, you know, just the, the dichotomy of the two, you know, just this. Yeah. And, and, and I think I I floated through that period of, you know, being happy to make music, always being happy, always happy to sing, you know, I, yeah. I it just, it's it's a joyous it's a joyous thing. Everybody should do it, you I know. Um, yeah. It, but at the same time, I don't think I was I was present. I really mm-hmm. don't. So I can um, see that. So yeah. let me ask you this: something I'm always curious about when I talk to people is I always wonder what what do, how did they celebrate when things start to go well? Because you guys had, um, you know, you've been sort of a struggling I don't know struggling musician, fringe uh-huh. musician since the early '70s. And almost nine or ten years later, you start having these hits, and I'm guessing your bank account gets bigger, your concerts mm-hmm. get bigger. Do you go buy a new car? Do you buy a new house? Do you take all your friends out to dinner? Do you go on a trip? What do you do? When that first big royalty check comes in and you're just like, we're making it, What? how do you celebrate that? Well, I personally didn't buy I had a 63 Corvair convertible, and it wasn't yeah. a new car. It was, uh, I liked old cars. I always did because I liked to work on them and they were simple. I didn't buy a house because I lived in L.A. and I knew I didn't like L.A. So mm. I never bought a house in L.A. I, I rented the same place well, for the last 14 years. You know, I was there uh-huh. 14 years in the valley. I would love to, you know, cook and entertain and have parties. And, you know, there was, you know, the kids okay. were get, becoming teenagers and, you know. There was, yeah. So there's, okay. and I so bought, nothing, you know, no I like, moment, huh? you know, it, it, it's, it's a strange thing because the event is not as crystal as it seems. Uh, um, okay. It's, it's, it's more like, cause you're, you're working, you're working, working, you know, for eight, for years, you, you try to be a musician for years. And I think that that's something that might be missing nowadays, you know, especially with this, sure. you know, instant success thing, yeah. which, that's great. I mean, I'm happy for people that have instant success, but I think you miss out on that whole dues paying thing, which is so sure. hilariously archaic. But it it really does sort of give you buffer and strength. It's muscles that you need to, you know, you need to go out and play a bunch of shit gigs. 
and, you know, run around in the middle of the night and put up posters on telephone poles and get chased by the cops. And, you know, this is like, this is like, this is my commitment to this thing that I'm doing. I believe in it. I'm going to do it come hell or high water. And there's a lot of high water and a lot of hell. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, so there was eight, basically eight years that uh, we were, that I was at, unsigned trying to be a musician with two children and no high school education so there was a lot of odd jobs there was a lot of a lot of just just sort of desperate times you know it was not and i really didn't know what else to do it was the only thing that i i mean that i seemed to have any kind of right so when we did get signed when it did happen it was hilarious because carter the a&r man and producer had he actually had come to sign it or was interested in us in 1975, oh. and he said something about it. He came to a gig at the Starwood, and I one of the guys from the Starwood came up backstage and said, "There's a guy from Capitol Records he wants to talk to," and I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" So I go out, you know, I think I promptly poured a glass of wine on his lap, and uh, uh-huh. by accident, I was so nervous, and he was like expressing interest. And I go back to the band, and I said, "Look, there's a guy from Capitol Records. He's he's interested in us." And then Robert, our drummer, goes, "Well, I'm quitting." As all good bands do when you first get a record deal. Oh, my gosh. And the rest of the guys are like, well, we have to get a new drummer. And I said, no, because I'm quitting, too. Because at that point, there was kind of a fork in the road musically. Robert and I were very much into sort of like Brian Eno and Bowie and stuff. And and the other guys seemed to be leaning more towards, like, we used to open for Van Halen all the time. um, It's so funny you say that. I, right now, am reading this book called Van Halen Rising about the beginning (laughs) stages of Van Halen. And everything revolves, the part in the book that I'm at, everything is revolving around the Starwood in the late 70s that just got signed. And I was just going to ask you, you must have, you guys were there at the same time. That must have been we opened for place. them, so yes. That, that makes no sense, by the way. You opened <laughs> Van Halen. But, uh, yeah, you must have just been in this you know, whirlwind of activity at Starwood in the late 70s. Yeah, it was great because we had gotten a following. I mean, we had become something only... Strictly by the like the hair hair shampoo commercial tell a friend they tell a friend that's how you did it in the old days you know and wow. um, and so we would yeah we would open for them I remember little Eddie just sitting in the background oh he would just always be playing his guitar it was just so yeah. cute so when we finally did get signed um, like Carter had been there that night uh-huh. that night the band breaks up so then from 75 to 70, God, 79, was it 76? I don't, I'm bad chronologically. Sure, okay. Somewhere around 1979, it was pretty quick. I, The band finally got back together with the help of Jeff Gerard, who, because I'm, I'm not a very good organizer. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, Robert and I were actually both pretty hopeless. We're both kind of too artistic to, to keep, you know, logistics mm-hmm. at, at, you know, in any kind of shape. We muddled around trying to get musicians. That was a really dark time because then I didn't have right. a band. I'd moved to Los Angeles. I didn't like Los Angeles. Right. I didn't have any money. I had, yeah. you know, we were living in a hellhole down there. Oh, literally, God. a place that was so sketchy. This was down before Echo Park was trendy. This was like, mm. and there was paint sniffers in the basement, oh. and you know, it was right. it was really. At one point, I had to get my, I had to pack up my kids and leave. The oh, police said you gotta you gotta get out of here now because I uh, I I heard a ruckus downstairs and I called the police because I thought my landlady was in trouble and they said 
well, you just had the, the head angel dust dealer arrested, so you should probably leave. And I'm like, ah. No, it was dark. It was horrible. My poor kids. I will, I, you know, it was awful. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And right about um, at that, at that time, um, when it was at its bleakest, uh, Jeff Gerard comes in. We, we finally put a band together. Within six months, Capitol Records is, is back with a bunch of other labels as well because right then was a feeding frenzy in, in uh-huh. L.A. when everybody, they were, the labels were signing up so many, you know, on the new sure. wave thing. It was kind yeah. of, they kind of looked at New York and went, wow, I think the Knack started it actually yeah, when the Knack had their uh-huh. big hit and so they started signing everybody. Okay. And uh, we got, because Carter was so sure he was going to sign us, um, he booked recording time three months in advance. Mm. But we weren't signed to them at all. Mm. Yeah. We were talking to a bunch of different labels, and uh, and finally, you know, I just said, you know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Capital. I just, you know, nobody else yeah. has the interest. They they seem to really care, and even though it wasn't my first choice, because I didn't think they were as hip as some of the other labels, but uh, really, so. You yeah, because think, oh, at that is, time, uh, um, historic. Uh-huh. You didn't think, oh, this is historic, a historic label and the well, building. Well, I didn't and all go that kind of for stuff. historic. Was, I was looking at Electra right? and like you mm. know the ones that had all the cool. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like the contemporary stuff, not the Beach Boys. And okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> True. Good point. Uh, but anyway, I went. I had a meeting with Electra, and they basically uh, he basically signed the deal with Capital. I was so disturbed at the last. I mean. With Capital, you really felt on heartfelt interest, and some uh, of the other labels, it was just like they're going to get another trophy for their, you know, it just didn't, right. didn't feel that. So anyway, we we signed on a Sunday. It was a Mother's Day. It was, I believe, May ninth, mm. and on Monday we went in the studio, and that never happens. Usually, mm. bands will get signed, and then the lawyers will go back and forth and this and that with with. I mean, they'll, they'll be. The label will come through. Then the lawyers will go back and forth. So it'll take months before you even get like the deal right. in place, and then then you have to get the recording studio. So we went literally from signing the la- with the label, and the next day we were in the studio recording. No way! Oh my yeah. gosh, that yeah. never happens. Oh never. My gosh. And so basically, that was the beginning of me not being there because it happened so fast, and my head was so spinning, and it just yeah. and it just kept happening like that. Like the next thing you know, you're on a plane and you're going to Boston and you're hearing right. dressing up in the taxi cab. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. You know, and then you're in Australia. Yeah. And then, you know, it's just so it, it's, Crazy. yeah. So let me, uh, I'm curious about something. And, and if this is too sensitive, you tell me. I hope that it's not. But okay. you being a woman in the music industry and especially in this day and age with the Me Too movement and all that kind of stuff. One thing when I look back over you, especially those early days, it didn't seem to me Maybe you would, maybe you disagree or had some bad experiences, I don't know. It didn't seem to me like you as a, as a beautiful woman were being, was being necessarily overly objectified. Which is so, you know, happens to so many women at that time. You know, not in the late 70s, early 80s, but, uh, when hearts started to have their resurgence, you know. They, uh-huh. they took Ann and Nancy and beautified them and put them in these bustiers and, Suddenly, heart albums are flying off the shelf where they wouldn't, where they weren't before, you know. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, but it didn't seem to me like you were ever sort of put through that same 
you know, sexed up assembly line that was ha- that happens to so many women, at, at, you know, in rock. Maybe well, it's a different I, time. Do you feel different? No, no, it's because I'm a little knucklehead, and I just said, "Ixnay on the X day." Um, I did. I, I because Good. because more than anything, I really I'm a writer, and I was when my when my first songs like when I wrote "Dressing Up," and I did write "Dressing Up." Jeff Gerard only wrote dee, 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 but he got half the writers, and we fought about oh, that no. for cra- like crazy. Now we're good oh, friends, no. but um, good. but when I when I could come up pe- like pieces like that, I was just so proud, and I was just like, because I mean I'm a self-taught. I still don't know the neck of a guitar, but but I do know how to make a song, and and these songs were like, especially when you're young and you're first involved, and it's just like your lust is so crazy for your, yeah. your passion for your art. And you're just like insane, you know. You're like, and I was like, I don't want anybody. I'm not going to put my picture. And I was cute when I was young. We're all cute. I know. When we're young. I know. Yeah, I know. That's and, why I, um, asked, I had like big full lips, and it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But 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 I did not, and I and I knew, and I said because. I I stereotypify things myself. If I, the thing that pissed me off about the dressing up song with Jeff Gerard, it was like I was very proud of the music I'd written for that song, uh-huh. and he wrote the the DD just which is based on the chords which I'd written, and and it was like so there was this was a big kerfuffle for me, and um, I was just like because I know if I was to look at that album and I saw that song and it said. Davis Gerard, I would think Davis wrote the lyrics and Gerard yeah. wrote the music, and that's how we look at things because that's how we've been programmed to look at mm-hmm. things. And being that I knew that that there's already a sexual standard out there, I'm like, well, sure. but I'm just not going to play into it. So Good. for the first two albums, I w- I wouldn't I brought them artwork and I wouldn't let them use my picture on the album. Uh, okay. So was I just there said, pressure? Did you feel pressured? Were there no? They they were very. If we put her in a sexy outfit and a lot of Aquanet, then we're going to sell more I'm records. Sure, I'm sure they weren't happy about that decision. Uh, okay. But I also know, and I told it, you know, I made it clear. I said, look, you know, I want people to buy this record because of the music. Mm-hmm. I also had a huge fight with them saying, I don't want you to spend any money promoting this yeah. record. I, I don't want anybody to have to pay to play it. People are either going to like the music or they're not. And I was so naive because I was vehement about it. I didn't want yeah. anybody to be paying, paying 
to to play our music. I wanted people sure. to discover it, and you know, it was hilarious. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, but yeah, so and then uh, so on the first album, there was not there was the gal by the swimming pool, which confused everybody because first of all, some people didn't know if it was a gal or not, and then some people thought it was me. And then that got really confusing. Um, and then the second album was the Dougie Seals portrait that I found in the book with the man in the chain and the girl with yeah, the... Yeah. And then the, yep. the third album was Apocalypse. And on the third album, I decided I was going to go in for it 100% because I love the Roxy Music covers. Mm. And I thought, I want to do something like the Roxy Music where it's almost like a fantasy thing, you know. Yeah. And so I did the thing with the flames and the green dress and the hair in a ponytail and dancing in the fire and you know i had this whole you know that was that was all my idea too um but sadly i didn't really think it out too much because that was in the days before photoshop Uh and that was standing literally in fire those are real flames i was standing between (laughs) two rows of like gas jets and the other big mistake i made was that i wanted to have cleavage so i Mm. gasped taped my boobs down to get the cleavage and the tape melted to my forehead. Oh no <laughs> That was the most painful photo session I've ever done. And oh. then the album didn't get released. And then so it, it didn't was even hilarious. Come out. All for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they literally had to pull me out after about four shots every time and ice my back because Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But it was my idea. I mean I was sure. like Hey, what the hell? Have another sure. glass of wine. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> That's great. I love that story. Yep. Good. Okay. Okay. So when things um, when things started to come to an end, uh, it sounds as if so. Okay. So shock comes out eighty five. It's got one decent side sit on it, and then the band basically ends, and you come out a couple years later with the with policy. Uh-huh. And it does, I don't know, it wasn't huge. It did okay. Uh-huh. All right, but then I think you start to decide to maybe walk away. Um, you talked about sort of not being present during the height of the motel's fame anyway. Uh-huh. What's leading to you when you, I mean, here's my feeling, and, and I talk to a lot of guests about this very issue on this podcast because a lot of them do what you did, and they walk away. And uh-huh. to a layman like me, it's like, isn't being a rock star always the more fun option? You know, wouldn't you, if you had the choice between being a rock star or going and getting a regular job, wouldn't you pick rock star every time? But they don't always pick that. Some people say, no, it was too hard or I couldn't do it. No, you're so cute. I love that. (laughs) Well, that's what I want to know. So what in your mind is better than what you're doing? Um, okay, well, let's start here. Um, the Policy <laughs> album was intended, it was a Motels album. It started out oh. as a Motels album. Okay. And the band had just, we had gotten to that point. It's like a relationship when you just know it's over. And people, it's, instead of come, you know, onto, into the studio on time with new ideas, they, like people would drag in. Uh, like, you know, it's like, yeah. And you're just like, Oh boy, it's done. And so, yeah. uh, on Valentine's Day of whatever year that was, I took every, one by one, I would take them across the street, buy them a drink, and fire them. And Michael Goodrow still refers to it as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. <laughs> yeah. Um, then it became, since it wasn't a Motel's album anymore, then the label decided, well, no, you, you hear, we're, we're gonna have you write with people. Mm. So I was writing with Diane Warren. 
I was writing with, you know, uh, Kelly and, um, oh God, the guys that wrote a lot of the early Madonna stuff. I wrote, oh, right. I mean, it was, it was super fun. I mean, because music's fun and I love sure. music. Um, but it was breaking my heart because if I'm anything, I'm a writer. You know, it's, okay. to me, it's about the songs. It's not yeah. about, it's not about being famous. It's it doesn't have any fucking thing to do about mm. being famous. I mean, mm -hmm. that's my least favorite part of this job. Mm. You know, the mm -hmm. part that is joyful, that's wonderful, is creativity. Yeah, having this, having this, these these things overtake you. These these ideas, these melodies overpower you and make you submit, you know. Yeah, uh, right. That's the part that's beautiful. Um, so when when all of a sudden I'm I'm sitting here with, and then they said, okay, not only are you going to write with everybody, we're going to cram every star we can grab off the street, you know, from mm -hmm. Kenny G to Charlie yeah. Sexton to Clarence Clemens to, and, and I'm like, you're just, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that sounds to me like a desperate album. Is what oh. that sounds like. Mm. And okay. and so rather than regrouping and saying, "Okay, Martha, the band's gone. What do you want to do?" And at that point, I was exhausted. And I was yeah. at the end of like maybe I was becoming present for the first time. Mm. I don't know. I was. Okay. I was. I, we did a tour in with the Policy album in Australia. That was the most grueling tour. Oh. I have been to places in Australia that most Australians will never go to. <laughs> I have I have traveled every inch from Ayers Rock to, you know, to Darwin to wow. Tasmania to yeah, I have I have done that country. And I love it. But <laughs> yeah. uh the drummer en ended up in the hospital. Uh, uh -huh. I mean, it was just, you know, it was ex it I'd gotten to a point where emotionally, physically Everything. It was like I got back and 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 then there was there was frustration with the la the label had changed a lot. Mm -hmm. The label was now a completely different. Like when I made when we were working on the policy album, um, that or whatever it was going to be when it was kind of a Motels album, um, there was an A and R guy in there who was a complete pop guy. He was a hundred percent. He's like I'm Joe Sixpack, you know, play, you know. So I'd bring in, you know, the poppiest songs that I could come up with, you know, uh -huh. like that song, uh, Don't Tell Me the Time, you know, yep. which is, you know, pretty, pretty straight ahead pop song.
halfway through the album, he gets fired, and Tom Wally comes in and signs Skinny Puppy. And I'm like, Ooh. okay, this is interesting. Very now different. I've written all these songs. So he doesn't right. really, they don't interest him. Right. You know, okay. God bless him. I probably sure. should have been with him from the first. We would have made some great, but. <laughs> yeah. No, so, I mean, there was a lot of levels where it was okay. time for everything to crash down, you know? Yeah. It was time. Okay. And, and so, so I crashes, started upholstering couches, which was a lot of fun. Okay, that was my question. So when it crashes and you transition out of music, what do you do? You upholster couches? Yeah, I oh. do. That's okay. what I do. I go to the thrift stores and I buy furniture that I know is beautiful and I do makeovers because the other thing that's horrible about the music business is everything takes fucking forever. Uh, to make an album yeah. is not, you know, you could make an yeah. album in two days and it would take a year for it to come out. You yeah. know, like we yeah. finished this album that we just did, even though it took us a long time to make it because we live in different places. I live up here, boys live in L.A. But yeah. then after we completely finished it, mastered everything, then it's another, you know, year yeah. before <laughs> yeah so, but when you rip the fabric off a couch and throw some new fabric on it and stand back and go this is good yeah. you get that instant gratification that you've been so longing for and that's what you still do today I don't upholster anymore uh, okay. I, I look at things and go I should reupholster you but <laughs> it's, it's really 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 hard work and it involves a lot of time and um, but I do still basically live at thrift stores and yeah. basically do not like to buy anything what? retail. Okay, okay. Yeah. So when you, when you leave, you go into upholstery, and eventually it comes around where, I mean, you guys have been pretty active, I think, on, like, nostalgia circuits, you know? You can still uh -huh. go out there and play on 80s, at 80s festivals and things like that. Um, how many of those kinds of shows do you play in a year? Well, that's that's sort of changing. I'm actually playing oh. less. Um, really? By which choice? Is, uh, it's it's actually a strategy. The Ooh. problem is is that I have I am a notorious and we can we can mark my words on this, I am notorious for not necessarily finding the best management. Uh. Now, his it's it's a sad thing too because there's there's a certain you know the rule of the universe is that if you have it, you get it. If you don't have it, you don't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Be like, when you're a starving musician and you really, really, really just need a keyboard, yeah. they'll make you pay top dollar plus. Mm -hmm. But if you get signed to a label and you don't need a keyboard because you've already got a keyboard, they want to give yeah. you one. You know, yeah. it's that thing. That's yeah. that scenario. And that works the same with... Like when you're when you're big and and famous, everybody wants you know the best managers want to handle you. And but if you're not, if you're down on your luck or you're not in, if you don't have enough likes on Facebook, um, <laughs> then right. the the managers that approach you are maybe not the top managers mm, of sure. the world, yeah, and they sense. might even have some that are maybe a little nefarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. At any rate, so I okay. I have managers that didn't necessarily get. The, the best money. Uh, once yeah. you start playing and not taking, you know, the best money, then then everybody thinks they can have you for that. And then yeah. so right now it's a matter of like, you know what? We're worth more than this. My band mm. is one of the most badass bands you will ever see in your life. This band, yeah. we are a great band. We have great songs. Good. Um, we are very we're entertaining to watch. You know, I it's a it. good. It's a good. good 
it's a good night out, you know. Sure. It's not, you know, we, it's not going out. We don't hate playing. We have new material. We love doing what yeah. we do. I you can know. say, for anyone listening, I haven't heard the new album, but Lucky Stars is a <laughs> single that's out there, and it is so good, and it sounds just like vintage motels at their absolute best. Starlight, vivid as madness, dreams wake inside my head, it's as though I'm hearing words no one said, I'll ignore communication. I'm like, I haven't been this excited about anything in a long, long time. And it just, it's, it's like this band, which this band's been together now 14 years. But it's like between all the like crazy managers and this and that. I mean, when I met these guys, I was married and my husband was managing me. That was a nightmare. And then we went from that to another nightmare to another nightmare. And like the guys, the fact that these guys are hanging with me and sticking yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, we love each other so much. And, you know, they're all younger, but they were, they're all huge fans of the 80s, you know. Yeah. Which is really weird because I think they like the 80s better than I do. No, probably. And then there's, a, then there's, of course, Marty Gerard, the original member who plays the sax. And, you know, uh-huh. he's just Marty as usual. Uh, he's the new old guy because he just joined us in 2011. Oh, fun. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> joined you back. Yeah. 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 So then, so, plan now. I mean, I imagine you're feeling so amped up about this great band that you have. Maybe performing on nostalgia tours where you get to go out and play your three songs, maybe is not what you're really jonesing to do right now. You probably want really to go jones- out and play. Kind of nailed it there, set. John. <laughs> okay. Well, good. <laughs> I get it right once in a while. Yeah. Um, okay. So are you a musician? Last, you are a musician. I am not. You? No, I am not a musician. I am just a music fan and a probably a frustrated journalist. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, and and I love eighties. You understand a lot about music. I can. I get that you definitely pay attention. I do, and I've done yeah. you know a lot of these so far. So I have yeah. some, some storylines come through. Um, yeah. So that makes so the plan now is can the motels go out on a tour where you're headlining and you get to play for an hour and yeah. mix it up with the old stuff and the new stuff. Is yeah, there I have a whole I have a whole beautiful stage beautiful stage uh, thing for the new album. I mean, I have it all in my head. Problem is getting someplace that'll do it, you know. Yeah. And, and my manager, being a manager of, of, of sense and sensibility, says, you know, Martha, you know, you can't just go out and play a new album that people want to hear the old stuff. And I said, I've worked that out. I have that all figured out. I <laughs> give them that and the new stuff. Sure. But, you know, the the album is, I I don't make albums unless, there's no reason to make an album with a collection of pop songs on it. Mm-hmm. If the album isn't cohesive, if it doesn't, 
it's not a rock opera, but it definitely is one piece. Mm-hmm. So um, there's no reason to make an album if it's not. If it right. doesn't have one, I mean, I I actually had a uh, the sequence of the album is different than what I had in my head. There's a literal story mm-hmm. um, that I had, but when I put my sequence to to the Democratic vote, they went, "Are you crazy? <laughs> you, can't, you can't start the album with that." <laughs> so I I acquiesced to the to the the young cute boys and said okay uh-huh. uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but it doesn't matter which it really doesn't matter in which order the songs are you yeah. can feel that there is a a thing that goes on with this but these songs are all very connected Good. they're very and there's really like I said there's no reason to make an album if they're not going to be sure you know sure. otherwise just release a single every you know three months totally right especially every, nowadays every, yeah well that's good well we'll, we'll sprinkle in uh, some snippets of, you know, Lucky Stars and new and songs off the new album right in here while we're talking. And Yay. I can tell everybody, it's called Last Few Beautiful Days, and it comes yes. out when? March 30th. Okay. And yes. I, and I asked you specifically because I know that you've been... <laughs> in a I've lot been of a hoodwink. Yes. I have been a hoodwink. I was told it was coming out March 7th. Yes. But I was reading your website, and you said unequivocally... <laughs> March 30th, it will come out, and if it doesn't, someone We raise be. hell. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, well, good. Yeah. The new Motel's album on the 30th of March. Perfect. Yes. Um, okay, well then, and tell me real quick. Now, if I understand correctly, are you, you live on a farm and take care of alpacas now? I, I have a farm. Um, I've lived up here in Oregon now for, Jesus, when did I move out? It's about 13 years, I guess, okay. 12 years, something like that. Uh, yes, I have three goats. I have um, a new five-pack of feral cats, which are wonderful. They're mm-hmm. not as feral as you'd think. They're very sweet, some of them. Okay. Um, I have three old lady cats in the house that are very old. Uh, then I have six dogs. Um, my roommate has one corgi. He sadly just lost his other corgi. Oh. Ago. So sad. Wow. Um, and then we have four alpacas. Okay. Uh, that are hilarious. So it's basically, it's not like I'm out here, you know, growing turnips necessarily. <laughs> Although I did grow a couple last year that were pretty good. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> it's, it's more, you know, I, I kind of will collect creatures that need collecting and they make me happy. Okay. You mentioned a roommate. You're not married. Is this a boyfriend or a literal roommate? No, this is a literal roommate. Um, He he actually um, he auditioned for the motels in 1975, I think. Whoa! Oh! Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. He's bass player slash... uh, mechanic slash just old dear friend and so okay. now no when i got divorced this last time i kind of like i'm kind of enjoying really yeah i kind of you know i i was a serial monogamist or uh-huh. whatever and i'm just like you know i like this i'm you know good yeah it makes you happy yeah yeah okay yeah. and you uh you i mean if this isn't i hope this isn't too indelicate but you pay your bills by being Martha Dave Martha of the of the motels. I mean, is that yeah, kind of? Yeah, I do okay. it. I do it with gig money and with uh, any kind of royalties that 
trickle in. So yeah, I mean we don't okay. live don't live fancy, but I'm I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, the house. I live in an old house that was built in 1913 and then added onto a bunch of times. It's a huge mm. old farmhouse. Uh, but it always wants money, so I'm yeah, like, okay, always. I'll keep working, I'll keep, I'm not retiring, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I see myself just you know planted here for the sure. for the for the end times, and it sounds uh, perfect. Yeah, it's good. Good. It's good. Okay. So I want to end with a couple of questions I ask pretty much everybody. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to know if you have any regrets over your career. There's any, and when I say that, sometimes I have to differentiate because. Uh, people will often answer, well, this manager did this or that. And I mean, I'm talking about a decision that you made that maybe altered the course that you wish you hadn't. But secondly, to end on a good note, I want to know what your favorite, tastiest memory is. And I don't know if it was, you know, if you got to meet Brian Eno or you got to open for David Bowie or huh. um, whatever it might be, uh, what's that memory? My my favorite, no, that was favorite what was the word you used? Tastiest. Uh, tastiest. <laughs> yeah. Tastiest. I got you. I don't know and why I just... say that, but that's the word that I Tastiest. Okay. Like a, a, sa- a savory moment. Yeah, a savory. Moment. That's even better. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. What was my... My favorite moment would have been meeting David Bowie, but I didn't. Oh, bummer. Okay. But I did I did hang out with Earl Slick a lot. We wrote some songs together. There you that go. was fun. That was nice. very sweet. Okay. Um and I've met a lot of, you know, really fun people. I'm sure you have. You know, I, I mean I think the whole the whole thing has been uh it's been an interesting and fun it continues to be. Um yeah. I I think my biggest regret is that to do what I do and it, and it's a lot of this album is about this. You know what you give to get what you uh-huh. get, yeah. and having two children at the time, and sadly I only have one now because I lost my daughter. Um, oh, yeah, in 2016 she died of an overdose. So, oh no! Yeah, oh. thank thank you Oxycontin, thank you oh. pharmaceutical so company. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually, today I was just bawling my eyes out because yeah. it just comes in waves and it just, you know. But, I mean, if oh. you want to talk about regrets, there's a lot of times when you're trying to do this thing called music and yeah. it it consumes you. And yeah. when you have children, it's a really hard thing to... So my regret, my regret is that, you know... You know, that oh. wasn't there more for my kids. Although when my oldest, the, she's the one that that died, she uh, she was living with me for the last five years, which was mm. awesome. And we were trying to fight the the evil yeah. the evil stuff. But um, had she had an addiction problem for a long time? She, you know, she basically had issues with a, a lot of things. I mean, she had. She's been brutally raped at one point. Oh. I mean, she was. I mean, she was a gorgeous, wonderful, amazing creature. Yeah. And um, it um, she so she would go. You know, she'd go see doctors and they'd give her sure. pills and you know it starts with your Valiums yeah. and your Vicodins and next thing you know it's like you know and, and once oh. you're on the oxycontin then you basically it's very hard to come back. Um, yeah. So and oh, uh, unbeknownst so to me, 
I mean, I had dragged her up here because I was afraid I'd go down in L.A. and see her, and I'd just be like, oh, this isn't good, you know. Yeah. And so I just uh, brought her up here thinking I'd put her on the farm and everything would be safe and wonderful. Yeah. And you can get that shit online. And yeah. So you can't avoid it. I, I've yeah. done a lot of research now. The only thing that really looks like it might actually be helpful because the all of the rehabs and stuff. She went to three rehabs. Um, those just seem to be money pits that don't yeah. really do anything. When she left right. her last rehab, she was on 11 different medications. Oh, and I don't call that carrying anybody of anything. So, yeah. But they're doing yeah. some interesting, really interesting work with um, uh, psychedelics. Yeah. Because mm. the one thing that those, those opiates, the, the, the synthetic opiates, the opium poppy has been around for centuries, and it's in a beautiful thing that nature provided. But the yeah. synthetic opiates are deadly. She died of fentanyl. Oh. Yeah. And it was. I um, was that who? Someone else died of that. Some famous. Tom person. Petty died of it. Yeah. Prince died of it. Prince died of it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I Michael Jackson died of it. You know, everybody yeah. died of it because fentanyl. I mean is the most deadly. She and her girlfriend thought they were snorting coke and it had fentanyl in it oh. and they were both dead. Oh. Instantly. Instantly. Oh. That is the worst. Yeah. So this oh. is, this is, you know, when you have a life that has all these things, it also has all these other things. And yeah. That um, the regret that you have at this point it's mighty powerful because that you start second guessing everything you ever did and sure. why weren't you this and why weren't you that and all the things for those moments in the spotlight or the limo or the whatever which seemed yeah. so fun at the time seem really stupid and horrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's just you know I'm gonna I'm I'm never gonna be the same and yeah. um, but thank God uh, I have music because okay. music is is the way that I also, and always have, you know, yeah. worked this shit out. So, uh, oh, yeah, man. that's a happy note what... to hand on. I'm <laughs> sorry, but today, uh, today I was just, it, it, yeah. she overcame me today, and yeah. my other roommate moved out. My roommate was here the whole time that Maria was, yeah. she came basically to help take care of Maria while I was on the road, and so uh, she left today, and it was just, everything just sort of became yeah. very... I, uh, oh. I'm very sorry. I had no idea what I was doing. No, no, it's question. no. But I think that's a really important story to tell, honestly. And, well, um, I, it, it's taken me. I, I first of all, I, I really, really don't. I don't want to. You know, I know that sympathy is going to come because people are human and they have empathy, and I appreciate that. But I didn't ever want to play that card as a yeah. means. I mean, she is not a way to get attention. Sure. It's been two years now, and I've been working up the courage to actually really start um, to really start campaigning against these murderers. Yeah. You know, these these pharmaceutical companies, and and actually getting the word out that that we should not be standing for this, and that there we should you know and. and Start doing more research on my part on the on the psychedelics and and other ways to you know help cure it you know yeah. because there's got to be a cure I mean otherwise it's just 
and the things that the pharmaceutical companies have out there for you, your Suboxone and your Methadone, are just ways to keep you paying them money. They're not cures. They're just right. more right. more drugs, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. insane. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, it's kind of going to become a cause of mine. I'm just now starting to be strong enough to talk yeah. about it. Okay. Um, but well, yeah, my my heart is broken. I can tell. I uh, well, I don't know how to come back from that other than to say thank you for talking to me, and I really love you and your band a lot, and I wish you the best with the new stuff, and I hope everything works out as it should and <laughs> in the yes. most fair and deserved way for <laughs> you and the motels because you deserve it. And so, oh, thank you. There you have it, Martha Davis. Isn't she great? I just think she's a really neat lady. So open. And I know that that kind of took a tragic turn there at the end, but I think it's really important to, you know, to see the wide breadth of Martha's life and the good and the bad and what all is involved when you're a creative person. So I'm really grateful that she told that story and I hope it meant something to you guys as well. Um, I want to close it out with probably my favorite song on the new album. The last few beautiful days, it came out last week. The song is called Tipping Point. I think it's so moody and cool. I like it a lot. Now, uh, teaser for next week. We are talking to a British alternative music legend. Uh, think ska. Think that, you know, that second wave of ska from the late 70s, early 80s. That's where we're going next week. I think you guys are going to like it. Now, I've made a, I made a post on Facebook about this, but in case everyone doesn't know, we uh, are opening up our recap episodes, Jan and I, to, we're taking on four, there are four openings. So if anyone out there wants to join us for one of these, we're going to do one at the end of April. The one at the end of June is taken already. End of August and end of October. And for a hundred bucks, if you donate a hundred bucks, you can come on with Yan and I. We will recap the last couple of months worth of episodes. We'll talk about whatever episodes that have already taken place that you want, any behind the scenes, any questions, and then you can pick a top five topic of your choice. Top five guitarists, top five women in rock. Maybe that includes Martha. Top five songs of the alternative rock era. Top five rap acts. Whatever it is, you, you provide it and you and me and Yan will debate it on the show, okay? So keep that in mind as well. And then huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makiewicz. Thanks for everything you do, buddy. And by the way, guys, we haven't received, we haven't gotten any reviews lately. I haven't done the midsection lately because it seems like the same, you know, handful, small handful of people share the episodes and then no reviews. And there have been a couple of, well, frankly, a couple of people have sent numerous requests and it felt kind of indulgent to just sort of keep reading those same one or two people's requests i wanted to kind of spread it out but i haven't gotten that many granted i'm slammed so i couldn't get to them for a while anyway but um if you send requests maybe there's a fun story there i will tell that story as well we'll go back to doing the midsection when there's more to report okay anyway thanks everybody we'll see you guys next tuesday <laughs>